Hello, everyone, and welcome to Outcomes of Sun radio show with my delightful co-host, Melissa Yamaguchi. I'm Marielle Hemingway. Yeah, yeah. We got a great show today. Very exciting. We talked to somebody who's incredible. But before we get to her, and she is amazing, mm-hmm. what are we going to talk about today, Melissa? Well, a couple of things I want to bring to point here. But before we do, can we? I, I would like to give us permission to take a little sidebar and just for a brief second, talk about how darling your little grandbaby is. Oh, my gosh. Oh, She's my precious. gosh. I showed Billy the video. I could. I, I mean, I'm such a I mean, I guess everybody out there who's a grandparent knows what this is like i mean as a parent you do the same thing but i kept watching the video i watched it i watched it more than three times i know cracking up i like how she turned to the side (laughs) she started like looking like who is talking no yeah she's darling she's a darling baby she's super healthy she's nice and chubby it's my favorite look and she's just a darling darling beautiful little baby i know i said are you so cute and then she like looks and then her legs start going (laughs) She's like, that would be a yes. So that would be a, uh-huh. I am cute. Anyway, so that happened yesterday. That was awesome. The, uh, something that I discovered is there was a research done in 2022, an extensive year-long, almost like an expose investigation into nursing homes in the state of California. Oh. And they're finding that, <coughs> excuse me, it's a trend happening across the country. But they started in California, so that's the latest research that I read from 2022. And they're discovering that out of 22,000 nursing homes in the state of California, over 25% of them are housing people who have a mental illness. So what they're, what's happening is people who suffer from mental illness are either being fed into the jails, the hospitals, or the nursing homes. And, you know, there's all kinds of disability acts that are being infringed upon here. But what it's done to the nursing home staff is worth noting because it's taking the average age of a nursing home um, resident and it's lowering it incredibly so that the staff that are coming in are equipped to handle geriatric needs you know and so they're getting this as young as 45 as young as 30 year old patients being brought into the nursing homes who are suffering from mental illness schizophrenia PTSD, yeah. any any type of mental illness, severe or mild. And so the, it begs the question, well, they, they said the number one problem is um, they have such incredible limited resources that, and they blame it, they blame it on the incredible limited resources. They blame it on the affordable housing crisis. And this is happening across our country. Like I said, the initial study and expose was done here in California, but it's it's disheartening and it's it's terrifying it is it is terrifying because because we still in this country which is pretty shocking don't have proper housing for people that suffer from mental ill i mean it's even when you're talking about the homeless situation yeah. not so many of those people are suffering from some sort of mental illness yes. or addiction or this or that and they're getting thrown into jail or into a shelter and then other people are feeling uh you know threatened by them because they you know they often will exhibit threatening behavior only because they're not in their quote-unquote right mind right 
it's it's very disheartening because we you you would think in a country such as ours that we would have the ability to figure out how can we house for these people and it 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 leads me back to thinking about the the judge in um florida who you know got people from being considered you know criminals to finding this housing but it's so limited one place in florida in a small area that's a great idea but we've got to make it global yes yes you know you and i've talked about this at nauseam on the show i don't have the answer you and i don't have the answers but we bring to for our audience we bring it to highlight so that we've got to keep our eyes open and we've got to realize that it's not just them and those people on the street or those people that are over here it really is it's infiltrating everywhere and if you put your let's say that you say well i can't take care of my parent my ailing parent i don't have the medical facilities at home and my mom or dad deserves better i'm going to put them in a nursing home where there's proper care and you've got your 80 year old parent in a nursing home and then you find out there are i mean they said 25 percent of every home of every home 25 percent are mentally ill that are brought in under the geriatric age of i think they said 65 is what they were considering geriatric in the nursing homes and so you've got a 38 year old a 45 year old mentally ill and by the way 38 year old is stronger than an 80 year old so it's it just goes on and on and i think that any of our audience I i mean there's something about like you i thought i i personally thought that you know that sit you know uh nursing homes had an age kind of differentiation right and i guess i guess there is no age well it's being court ordered it's being court ordered Uh, so when the court is making this determination that's why there's they're shooting them out to either hospitals jails or nursing homes and you'd think how can nursing homes be on that roster yeah, it's you would understand it's maybe hospitals crazy. to get them some help. You'd think hospitals, let's get them some help. Jails, ah, that's scary also, unless they committed a crime. Yeah. Nursing homes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew there were shelters, you know, like, yes. or, excuse me, shelter halfway houses for people in that, in that state. But it's like, it's just wonky. It's just wonky that we can't find proper housing for people of different having different things going wrong with them and yes. and also if somebody is spending their retirement money to go into a nursing home or yeah. you're you have put your put your yeah. mother or father in there and you expect a certain amount of care and you feel like or you should feel like they're going to be safe and that's and that's dangerous. And I'm not saying that every mentally ill person is not safe, but a lot of times when it's not dealt with properly, and if you don't have the staff to deal with the problem, right. uh, you know, it can be it, it's very very challenging. I yes. mean, even hospitals don't handle men, the mentally ill correctly because they're not, you know, emergency rooms are not designed to that's deal right. with mental health issues. Periodically, you get a wonderful hospital that does have a, a, psych, a psychiatrist, psychiatric ward or something like that, but it's very rare and and it's hard. Yeah, it, it is hard. It, it really is it hard. very challenging. Yeah, wow. We'll keep, we'll keep our eye on this for our audience and for ourselves and our, our fellow brothers and sisters that are out there. And we'll try to figure out what, we'll just keep our eye on it and keep reporting back what we're learning. and. 
you know, Maryland yeah, Foundation will hear about places that are offering yes. different kinds of, yeah. of care. And that'll and be part of our funny. foundation. Right. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, if if everybody out there doesn't know, you know, we have uh, Melissa and I started the Mary L. Hemingway Foundation, which is a resource nav navigator for just this very reason, because so many people I mean, we don't have it up yet because that's what that's why we do the podcast yeah. so we can put our information out there. But, you know, people need to have knowledge in their area what's around what's available what are the different homes and things and what i've discovered you know having spoken around the country at different mental health organizations there's wonderful organizations yeah. doing wonderful yeah. work but they yeah. are usually smaller yes and they're only serving the boutique a small ones. Yeah. community and and and, or a small percentage of a community. So, I mean, that the problem is huge. Yeah, but it is. great solutions out there. And that's why we want to become that resource navigator. Yes, I, yes, I yes. want you to be able to plug in, hey, I'm in Austin. And, you know, my, I, you know, I've got an addiction issue. Here are all the different recovery sites. And yes. here's what they do. Here's a holistic. Here's this. Here's that. Here's psychiatric. And working with the people from the state to get to show them the yeah. options that we found so that they're not using their limited resources and shoving people into places where they shouldn't be. And I, I want you to know, we we determined our titles in the foundation, but I want you to know that I will never air the secrets, even though my title is Secret Airy. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Here, the blonde in me was like, huh? Wait, huh? Wait, what? Did I hear? Oh, I got it. Okay. Yeah, I took it. I had a moment. I was like, Bobby's always like, you get the joke like five minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, the, the, the whole lead in for us sharing this information is this constant need for us to care about every living thing. Yeah. Caring. It's the care. And that's, that's it really, it's the reason why, you know, we were able to talk to the gal we have today, right? Oh my gosh. So the so the gal we have today right now, stay where you are because she's extraordinary. Ashley Avis. I got it right. Yes. Ashley yes. Avis is a director of incredible films, films that you know, but she has also directed this amazing documentary that you all have to see. She's an extraordinary woman, so stay where you are because we're going to talk to her about what she's doing in the world, uh, and, and it's pretty flippin' amazing. Hello, everybody. Welcome to All Kinds of Sun podcast and our amazing guest. I'm so excited. First of all, I'm such a, I'm really a fan of her work, and her name is Ashley Avish, and she is an award-winning filmmaker. She's best known for writing and directing D Disney's Black Beauty, star starring Oscar, uh, Oscar winner Kate Winslet, and Twilight's Mackenzie Fox. Foy, sorry, Mackenzie Foy. Uh, she has also uh, just done an amazing documentary on wild horses. And, and she is the president of the Wild Beauty Foundation, a 5013C dedicated to illuminating issues horses face through film, advocacy, education, and illumination. Her award-winning documentary, Wild Beauty, Mustang Spirit of the West, was recently released and is now eligible for the Oscars of 2024. Super 
hoping that that happens because it's seriously, I am such a huge fan. Oh, not to mention you did, uh, you know, uh, City of Angels, which is one of my favorite movies. Black Widow, one of my favorite movies. I grew up in the West. Wild horses have been a big part of my life. Like, you know, it was just something I grew up in Idaho. So wild horses were always kind of, they were kind of in the in the backdrop of our lives, right? And and we just knew we just knew that they existed. I I rode I rode wild horses. We we saved a wild horse when I was a kid. And you know, like there's it it when you come from the West, when you come from that part of the world, it's kind of in your nature, but you really are trying to illuminate the the issues that that the wild horses face. And I don't think people realize the horror that these poor horses go through, you know, like, and, and I mean, well, first of all, welcome, because <laughs> you are <laughs> extraordinary. You're an extraordinary filmmaker, an extraordinary person doing important work for these, for these horses. It's for the environment. It's just, it, uh, I, I can't commend you enough for, for doing it. I'm going to tell you a quick story and then you're going to talk the whole rest of the time, but Bobby, my significant other, and I drive uh, across the country quite often. And whenever he sees horses in the distance, like, and usually they're way in the distance, he we pull the car over and he goes and he runs with what he fancies him. He calls himself a sun runner, but then he's a wild horse runner. I don't know. He's a little crazy, but I mean, that's that's our passion for these animals because they are extraordinary. And I think that we forget, you know, that these are wild animals. This is not something that you just take for 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 granted. Anyway, thank you for what you do. And, and tell us a little bit about well, tell us about your documentary and tell us about your uh, foundation. Horses were a big part of my life growing up, and I was inspired by so many great equine-themed novels like Black Beauty and Walter Farley's The Black Stallion when I was growing up, and and so horses were a big part of my life, and it was really beautiful that in my adult life and my adult profession as a filmmaker, after a number of independent films and doing a lot of work for, for over a decade, I finally got the opportunity to take the next step, which ended up being Black Beauty, and and it was in finding and it was in looking for a modern day parallel to why Annecy will wrote Black Beauty, the novel, which a lot of people don't know, was an animal welfare plea for the horses of her time, the, ca the cab horses and the carriage horses. And and so her publication of Black Beauty really helped to revolutionize our modern day understanding of animal empathy and animal intelligence and that horses and animals can feel love and loss and heartbreak and joy and all mm -hmm. these emotions. And so in looking for that, for that modern day parallel for our Black Beauty, I started looking into modern day issues horses were facing today because I figured if if we could do our jobs right and and honor her, we would be we would be doing something for for horses now. And as a horse person in my youth, I had no idea that wild horses were being rounded up in our country and that low flying helicopters were being used and that they were being separated from their families. And these are highly intelligent, family driven mm -hmm. animals that are being treated in such a cruel, antiquated manner. And a lot of, so that pointed us to the documentary. Uh, we we ended up filming real wild horses for authenticity in Black Beauty. And, and it was in going out to the, the spectacular wild and getting to see that. 
And then on the opposite side of that spectrum, we, we filmed real roundups and we filmed, filmed our first roundup in 2019. And my heart broke in a way that I've never experienced watching that. And we rescued two horses from that roundup. And, um, and we just, we knew we had to keep going because there hasn't been a blackfish or the cove for wild horses. And I, and from the very beginning, I kept thinking if I, if I was a horse person for most, for most of my young adult life, and I didn't know this was happening, how many yeah. people don't know? And I think yeah. that's a huge part of the problem. I, um, I had no idea candidly until we received information about the work you're doing. And I, I, I'm from Oklahoma. I mean, my whole, my whole existence, like Mario growing up in Idaho, my whole existence, my grandparents had farms. I lived on the farms every summer. We always had horses. We always, there's not as many wild horses that I was aware of around the area, but I know that horses and take the care of horses, equine therapy, which started a big, huge movement when I was in college. This is all such a massive part of our world. I had zero idea that this was happening. I have a question for you that may, may seem so basic, but I, I wonder what are they doing with the horses? They're not using them for police policing. You know, you used to use, you used to use the horses and bring them in so that the police officers could do their, their, their calls, but New York, and there's only a few places that still have police on horses. So what is our government doing with the horses? Warehousing them in short and long-term holding facilities, some without shade or shelter from the elements. And then selling them for profit. They can be adopted. For example, when we adopted our first two horses from that first roundup in Nevada, it was a the, the foal was maybe a month old driven by oh. by the helicopter and he thankfully was reunited with his mother numerous foals died during that roundup of heating oh. being trampled in the trailers and um we were able to adopt them for 25 dollars each and the government has something called the adoption incentive program where you get paid a thousand dollars to adopt a wild horse but that doesn't usually even cover the trailer ride to get That's the horse right. to the location. So it sounds like, oh, I'm going to get $1,000 to adopt a horse that doesn't last you virtually for anything. So unfortunately, the New York Times did a great, um, did a great piece of investigative journalism about this, exposing the fact that duplicitous people around the country have gone in, adopted wild horses in greater numbers and have flipped them into the slaughter pipeline in Mexico and Canada. And that's just, so that's the dark side of that program. It's very, it's obviously a different thing to try to train a wild horse. I think adoption is really important to try to get horses out of those holding facilities. Yes. But the reality is that, you know, a lot of people might not have the means to go through that level of training. And the, the fact that the government is continuing to stockpile wild horses is just pretty abhorrent, especially when you see the conditions of those facilities, some of those facilities. It's gut-wrenching. It's gut-wrenching. It's gut-wrenching because we don't realize, you know, I always think, I, I have a lot of my friends that will say to me, oh, Melissa, I'm not interested in politics. And I said, it's not, it's not about you picking a political party. It's about you being aware of what's happening in the world. And I think that I'm pretty savvy when it comes to understanding our, our government, but apparently not. But I know it's so insidious. There's so much happening that it's kind of hard to keep track of stuff. And that's why the work that you're doing is so important in highlighting that which slides underneath the radar because everyone's worried about the military budget, the education budget, you know, what's happening with our youth. And we don't realize there's multiple, multiple layers of things that 
we have to pay attention to. And this, I'm so, I'm so happy that you're bringing awareness to it. It's devastating, but I think that if we give people hope by saying, look, I may not have the means to train and house a horse, but how can I help in some way? I know that people would be more than willing to donate and do something. And I usually tell people to find a great sanctuary that and do your research and, and find a sanctuary that's doing boots on the ground rescue of wild horses. There are a number of major organizations on this issue that are very well-funded. I, I encourage people to donate to the little guys that are actually out there going to the kill pens, going and rescuing horses, and then spending the time to gentle them or to try to get them adopted. And there are a lot of great organizations out there like that. So we, 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 there, we need to get the, the horses out of those pens. And, and, and I also agree. I think there's so much going on in the world right now, but I do a lot of talks with children and young people because I think it's such an important part of this fight. And we can all pick a corner. We can all pick our little corner of the world to try to defend and to try to cast a spotlight on. And my little corner happens to be wild horses. But I think we need more awareness for our wild world or we lose it. Well, if you're, if your corner is, Um, go ahead, go ahead, Meryl. Oh, I, I was just going to ask a question before my internet d- dies again. Go ahead. Go right ahead. Is there, is this a stupid question? It probably is. Is there, I mean, can we just leave these wild horses alone? It's not like we're inundated. It's not like the, you know, the deer population on the East coast. It's not like there's thousands and So I guess the question probably is why are we even, why are we even bothering them? What's the reason behind them even being bothered? So there, are, the, the Bureau of Land Management estimates that there are about 80,000 wild horses across the American West, and that's over 245 million acres of public land, and about 26, 27 million of that is allocated for wild horses. It's a battle mm-hmm. over, as many things, land and special interests. The, the problem is tax-subsidized livestock grazing, commercial livestock grazing, where those ranchers and some of those big corporations want oh. the horses gone. and. So they'll do a roundup of a few hundred wild horses and come in a few months later or sooner and they'll dump cattle or sheep on those, what they're called, they're called herd management areas. And it's devastating to see that where they say, and it's a disinformation campaign against wild horses where they're saying they're starving, they're overpopulated, we're rounding them up for their own good. And as we expose in the documentary over years of filming and traversing the vast American West to many different HMAs, herd management areas, documenting numerous roundups and calling out the Bureau of Land Management for the lies they're telling the public. And if you watch our documentary, you can make our own assessment when the Bureau of Land Management is saying they're starving and you train your camera on them and they're fat and they're healthy. They're degrading the range. There's no grass to eat. No, the range is healthy, perhaps where the cattle have been let loose or the sheep have created a moonscape, but you go over the mountain and that's where the horses are and it's lush and the grass is up, you know, beyond your, your, your knees in places. So it's, it's, I think to, to answer your question, it, the, the healthiness of populations ranges from different state to different HMA. And in some of those places, like the in, in Arizona, there's a place called Heber that we feature in the film. And these horses are like fairy tales. They're coming out of the woods and, and just absolutely a stunning, stunning place for people to go and camp and see wildlife. And there are still predators in that area 
that help naturally regulate the wild horse population yeah. in those areas. The problem with some places in the American West is that because of cattle and sheep, predators are being wiped out. And that's the mountain lions and the coyotes and mountain lions who prey on wild horses. And some people you know, don't like hearing that, you know, the horses are going to get killed by them. But it's I, my perspective has been circle of life. And that's yes. that is nature. And so the ultimate goal with this issue is we need to restore native ecosystems. And that's a, much, a much larger battle. But that's where we need to go. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that, even though I left for a moment. That's okay. It was just <laughs> yeah. enough. For her. <laughs> I was with you. I was like, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's incredible because it's it's true when you leave the natural wild horses in their wild environment, the the ecosystem supports that because that they're a part of it. You know, when you bring in non you know, not part of these big, you know, like cattle and, and sheep and they're great. They overgraze and, and areas, but wild horses don't do that. Yeah. It's astonishing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for answering the question. Go ahead, Melissa. I know I interrupted you. Oh, I, I, no, no, you're good. You're fine. So we're all question good. It's, it's like family dinner. We all just keep interrupting and someone will finish eventually. Don't even worry about it. Um, <laughs> I have a, I, when you were filming the documentary, the question that I have for you, were there, were there moments in time when it was scary for you? Was it, were there moments in time when you felt, um, even if it was a gentle threat, like you need to back up, you need to get away. Did you have any, I'm not trying to create another silkwood here, but I'm just wondering, did you have a moment in time when you were filming that you were harassed or given a hard time for exposing this? Absolutely. I, the, the biggest issues that we faced were from the Bureau of Land Management. And I don't yeah. want to make a blanket statement that everybody in the agency is a bad person. That's certainly not true. But a lot of the people that we encountered certainly were not happy that we were there filming, that we showed up with a lens the size of, you know, a human arm and yeah. that we were actually able to, you know, see. To, to see because yeah. they run these horses and sometimes they're miles away and they run them for, you know, for long periods of time in the sun. And and we were able to actually, you know, punch in and see a lot of that and capture a lot of that. And so we became, we, we kind of became, I would say, kind of marks for when we would show up at these roundups. Sure. Uh, we're, we're definitely spread over the years. And um, there, you know, we were cussed, I was cussed out at by one of the helicopter contractors uh, from the back of his horse. I really wish we actually had that on camera. It was, but they, I mean, there's such a, there's this weird kind of disconnect I, i've been calling it it's almost like the room like the like there's an empathy cog missing with some yeah. of the individuals that we encountered who can look at a roundup and watch it and think that that's humane and there's nothing wrong with stampeding horses with a helicopter flying at eye level and with foals getting trampled and horses breaking their legs and backs and saying you know it's that's you know the, the amount yeah. of horses that get hurt or killed are so minimal and it's i, I just don't understand not looking at animals without a sense of that empathy and looking at them as individuals in terms of being um the only time i was truly frightened was when we went uh undercover in yeah. texas and um and as you saw in the film my dad came out to, to, <laughs> to help out with it our crew was so small and um and we had we we had a little um dji little uh like a teeny tiny little camera with a gimbal head and I kept trying to wedge it into my purse, but the gimbal head kept, kept getting stuck. And so it would beep. And, and just having that and 
not we didn't fully realize when we went there how much we would stick out as just we weren't locals and that's a very intimate community and so a lot of our footage lived with my brother's button cam which we we sewed into his shirt uh and was just wow. undetectable and he was so funny he's such a brave young man but he was you know trying to stand like this <laughs> and rotating himself and was <laughs> hilarious and I'm putting my hand on him saying, Rick, you've got to relax a little because he's <laughs> trying to get a good, good angle. I'm, I'm so proud of him, but I was so worried because it looked unnatural. <laughs> but he did his job and he, you know, we got, we got the footage that we, that we needed. And, uh, but, uh, and there was one individual that, th that did have a, a very specific veiled threat. And obviously I won't say his name, but was on the, you know, the opposing side, but, um, but I think the most disturbing thing really is that lack of empathy and compassion toward, toward yes. animals, because it's 2023, this, we're not in the wild west anymore. That's right. Right. How are we looking at animals in that way? It's just preposterous to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's hard to see people without any kind of vision for, for the, I mean, we've come a long way. I often say that, you know, my grandfather, if he were to live today would have been an environmentalist he wouldn't have been in africa killing animals because it was, it was a totally different time he loved animals he loved the but he loved the natural progression of all of that i mean i'm not a hunter myself i would never but i i really think that there's just it's a bizarre lack of i don't know how you watch I, but you know children being abused all of this stuff and how we can turn a blind eye to that when there's such innocence, it, it makes no sense to me at all. It, it I, you know, like, and I think the majority of humans on this planet would go, oh my God, I had no idea. It's like when you watch, you know, the other documentaries that you had mentioned that, that, you know, really point to these horrors, but it wakes people up and that's what you've done. Well, exposés are really vitally important because we become... We live through this myopic view of the whole world. We get so inundated with our own lives and our own kids and whatever's happening that we kind of lose view. Mm. You know, one of the things that Marilyn and I uh, <clears throat> talked about on the introduction uh, to this to this segment of the show, Ashley, is is the fact that in the state of California, there's some issues with the in help for the mentally ill and where they're being farmed, really, whether it's going into the hospitals or they're putting them into nursing homes or they're putting them into jails, they're not really addressing the needs of the mentally ill. And I think in the same vein, to your point, when you said, how can people be missing this empathy chip, uh, this part, big part of our DNA of having compassion for fallen beings, whether it's animal or human, how can we have this and or even even our 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 trees around us as they're being obliterated. Uh, you know, every single part of our 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 world that needs to be able to circulate and move and and function in a way naturally and organically. I don't know why we think we have to get in the way, and and alter that. But I I think that that aspect of us is oftentimes numbed, jaded, and overlooked because. We're just doing the job and we tune everything out. And I think a lot of it has to do, and I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist here about television, but I think a lot of the shows that numb the effect of other people's pain. And it started off with a lot of those really um, salacious talk shows. This person's my father, my baby, and it's my sister's husband or whatever. All these, all those kind of uh, lowbrow, forgive me, lowbrow shows that really were hitting at the base of America, we or humanity, 
we stepped away from compassion because we saw it as theater. And so I think that we we lose a little bit of who we are. I applaud your, I, I know this was difficult. I know you went through a lot of emotional turmoil. I can hear it and see it in your face as you're describing a lot of the, the, the travesty that's taking place. And I, and in all candidacy, I've got to kind of put my big girl pants back on and watch because I watched to a point and began crying and turned it off. And it was a little bit painful for me to see some of the stuff because, you know, and that's not fair. That's not fair to the horses. That's not fair to your work and it's not fair to the truth. So I make a pledge here on live that I will go back and watch this because we've got, so, you know, I'm, I applaud you for doing this. It's hard work. It's hard work doing this, but it has to be done. It's great. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. It's, I, I, it was a hard project, but I keep, I, I hesitate to even say that because it's nothing compared to what they go through. Right. Yeah. No, I get it. Well, you can see it in your face. You can hear it in your voice that your, your ability to feel that compassion is, is beautiful. And it's what makes the film so moving and so impactful. And I so hope you win an Oscar for it because you deserve, <laughs> not only do you deserve it, but the horses deserve it because, you know, then that'll be an influx of like viewers, people, eyes on it. That's yeah. all you want. You, you want people to know because. Yeah. Expo exposing the truth is probably most. Yeah. Exposing the truth, but also educating kids. Yeah. Like kids need to know. Kids need to know what's going on, right? So that they can get passionate about, like, you know, the horses, the, the, I don't know. It's, it's very, very important. So good on you for doing that. We're so grateful that you would come on and, and talk about it with us. It really means the world to us. Thank you. I agree about the children. In, in 71, Velma Johnson, she was known as Wild Horse Annie, got thousands of kids around the country to write letters for wild horses. And that's what inspired the, oh. the, the signing into law of the Wild and Free Roaming Horses and Burrows Act, which we cite in the film, and that's being blatantly ignored now. But it was children. It, it, kids were able to yes. move, the, move this forward. And so with our work, we started this a few years ago, and we're going to do a much bigger push this fall. We're asking children to write letters to their lawmakers and to yes, stand, I love that. Stand with wild horses. Yeah. Where can we find it makes out a about difference. that? You get the kids behind it. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell us where we can look for you, where we can look for it. I'm going to get my great nephews to start writing. I we got to we got to get on this. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're launching that through the Wild Beauty Foundation, which is wildbeautyfoundation.org. We're on all the main social media channels, Wild Beauty Spirit on Instagram. And we're going to be releasing a video in about two weeks, which is a little, very simple how-to for kids, for camps, for troops, for church groups, for barns, any kid, any team. It. <laughs> you know, to have a little letter writing day and 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 write letters on behalf of wild horses and send them in. And we were in Washington, D.C. a couple of months ago and we canvassed Congress and we went into a, a number of a number of different offices. My husband and I actually we took the Senate and we went into every single senator's office and in some of the offices where we knew kids had written letters, particularly from Colorado. We asked the staff, have you gotten the letters? And in, in Hickenlooper's office in Colorado, where we had about a hundred kids write letters, um, it, when it <laughs> came out, they lit up and they said, we've gotten them. We log every single one. We love those letters. And so it was just such a, I walked out of that office trying not to cry because it was such a, you know, you try so many things and yeah. it's trial and error in a lot of respects. Yeah. It's working. 
and kids kids are paid attention to more than adults sometimes so that's that's where my focus is that's exactly right to try to get kids yeah right I love that. Yeah, we get, yeah, you get, you get those kids who can resist (laughs) the the little voices of these innocent, but they, they come from innocence. They come from that. Oh my gosh, those are wild horses and like, we should save them. So thank you for doing this movie. We're really, truly, and everybody who's listening, please do something. Go to, go to the wildbeauty.org. Wildbeautyfoundation.org. And also go to the Ashley Avis Instagram account and click on everything she's got in her bio. I just did it. I'm just, I, think I, I think I'm even following Warner Brothers. I'm following everything. Everything you mentioned, I'm a part of it now. I Your work is tremendous. You're delightful. I'm sorry that you had to go through this. Dave, I, applaud. Really, I really appreciate it. Your work is heroic. It really is. Yeah, it's so good. I, and I have to say your grandfather is my literary icon. So the, the first- First book I ever read with my dad, a longer, you know, proper novel was Old Man in the Sea. So Hemingway is, he's been such a guiding light through his work in in my life. So it's very special to be on this show as well with that connection. Cool. Well, I missed part of that, but I assumed what I, (laughs) anyway, it's all good. I think. Yeah, I got I got that you liked him, and then I blanked. I was like, of course, you're getting you're getting some sort of compliment in the, in the internet. <laughs> oh, it's it's an honor to honor to meet you, and thank you for having me on on the it's show. An honor to meet you. Thank you. Welcome back to Outcomes the Sun Radio here on Dash with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Well, I'm Melissa, and I'm going to give you some energy tips. So I get asked this question quite a bit. Um, when you're visiting someone, you're a house guest, or you're going over for a dinner party, what what are, are there some good feng shui ideas for take to take over for a housewarming gift? Believe it or not, there actually are. So let me just run. A lot of them are, are logical, right? You would think, okay, I'm gonna uh, take over a, a potted plant or some botanical gift. Yeah, that's great. Flowers are tricky because you have to make sure that you know flowers are nice gifts, but in feng shui you don't want to take over white flowers because white flowers are historically used at grave sites. So you want to take over something with vibrancy to it. So in feng shui, I'm going to go through some of the basic ones, but then I'm going to leave the one that I always find the most intriguing for last. Scented candles are always, candles are beautiful. Again, scented candles are unusual because not everybody likes the scent of vanilla or magnolia or whatever. So you have to know your host and hostess and see if that know if they would like it. It's safe to take over something seemingly benign, like a very gentle vanilla, because everyone kind of deals deals with that fine. But a scented candle is a nice gift. Bath items are always a great gift in feng shui to take over because you don't know if if you don't know the host very well, then you can always take over a bath a basket of gift items for the bathroom. Hopefully, they're not bath items and they only have showers. But again, it would pay to know a little bit about your host. Um, it's nice and feng shui to take over a gift that is heavy especially if it's a new home because in feng shui taking over a gift that is heavy for a new home helps them to anchor so if you were going to take over a beautiful vase then make sure it has some weight to it so that when you present it to them it's like oh this is nice and heavy and the more simple and more plain it is the better because again unless you know their decor you need to consider their taste consider their color scheme and consider their hobbies but this is going to be a short tip time because I, I've saved my favorite for last. In feng shui, a really great gift to take somebody 
for a housewarming gift is a pot of basil. Now the basil choice is yours. It could be Thai basil. It could be any basil you like, but basil is a good gift because A, not only is it a giving gift, but basil represents fresh and new and vibrancy. So yes, you could take over potted, any potted herb, really, I would think. Um, but basil is a gift because not only is it used for cooking, but the color of the leaf and the roundness of the leaf mimics coins. So it represents prosperity and its long, its vibrancy because of that beautiful, rich green color of the basil leaf. It's one of the favorite gifts to give in housewarming in feng shui. So they consider a little basil, although I would venture to say potted lavender or rosemary or thyme or oregano, any of the herbs would be just as well received. But basil, for those reasons I specifically said, don't go anywhere too far. I'll be leaving my home address for those of you who would like to send me potted basil anytime soon. This is Melissa signing out for the energy tips. Stay around. Mariel Hemingway is coming up next with tips on health and balance. Thank you everyone for, you know, for staying here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk about fall because we are, I think we just hit is, I think it's today. I think it might be the autumn equinox today or tomorrow. So it is fall. Um, and we are in the season where you, you start to change how you're eating, right? You're going to start eating more fall type foods. And what are those foods they are pretty obvious, but in case you don't know, all of the root vegetables become very important for your diet, not only because of the vitamins and the nutrients and the fiber that you get from them, but it's also the color. It's, it's funny because fall and winter foods have the color of fall and winter. They have the colors of warm, you know, pumpkins and squashes and sweet potatoes and yams and and, and carrots and all of these different kind of root vegetables have this color that invites you to be softer, warmer. Your the, the food is, a, it, it feels a little bit heavier, but they're actually not high in calories. They're just, it's a warming food and you wanna warm yourself because the, the seasons are changing. And this is a, a time when a lot of people will get sick during the fall, in the spring, but also during the fall, you've had summer and you're running around, you're eating, you know, very watery types of foods, lettuces and fruits that have a lot of water and melons and all that kind of stuff. And as we move into fall, it, it really invites you to put a sweater on to, you know, and to eat foods that are warming and that that really do calm the nervous system down. And I'm just a big believer in it. I think there's some science behind this, but I'm a big believer in eating colorful foods and, and foods that match the season. I, I wrote a book years ago uh, called Mariel's Kitchen. It was really about eating seasonally. And there's something fun about doing that because if you're, the person that has to make dinner for your family, you know, every single day, at least when you're in a different season, you get to look at the kinds of foods that are seasonal. So really think about that when you go into the grocery store, because there's a reason why things are in season and, and, and your body actually really appreciates it. We are so, we are such animals, you know, our base instinct is to 
to be more animalistic and we like the things that are seasonal it's it's what we're drawn to you know we live in a, we live in a world where you can get blueberries in the middle of winter you know from chile but is that really is that as good for you as eating what is in season in your environment now i'm in california a lot so you get a lot of stuff that is growing year round um, and that's okay because it does grow year round and it is a part of that, you know, that, that whole ecosystem. But just remember that eating seasonally really is good for your health. It's good for your mind and the colors, they kind of, they lighten you up. They, they fill your spirit with a sense of calm and, and it's also moves you into that season without resistance. When you start changing the habits that you have had all summer long, which maybe we're, if you're like me, I love summer. So I, I hold on to it as long as I can. But then when you embrace the habits of the new season, it makes that seasonal change much easier. And you often don't get sick when you're like, oh, okay, it's fall. I'm going to eat more, you know, grounded root vegetables, bringing color into my life. You know, remember it gets cooler at night, throw a sweater on, just be aware of this environment because we are such a part of it. So when you remember that the food you eat, the water you're drinking, you know, warm teas and things, you just want to change those habits. It's not icy drinks anymore. It's, it's different. I know. Sorry, Melissa, you and me both, you and I love a big glass of ice. It ain't good. It, what it, I love me. They they say you know like it's so bad. It's bad for your kidneys. You know like your kidney. And I'm like, eh, but I just love it. <laughs> I know my son chastises me all the time. He's exactly. like, that's good for your digestive system. Those are no. great tips, and it's true. I love. I look forward to all those foods. I don't like having watermelon in January. It it unnerves me. I know. Bobby's always about like, and I'm like, why would you buy a watermelon in February? <laughs> Yeah, it just feels weird. It's it like, you know, and he has all kinds of strange reasons for I it. I mean, you don't eat pumpkin pie on Valentine's Day. What are yeah. you doing <laughs> here? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> exactly. Well, there you go. Those are those are my tips for the day. We Beautiful. had an amazing, amazing conversation with Ashley. Thank you again, Ashley. Please go see her movie. I loved it. It broke my heart and opened my heart wide open. And I think it will open your heart wide open. Remember that we often do this for the Mariel Hemingway Foundation.org. If you're interested in giving us a little donation or just looking at the site, which is not complete. We have not done anything in that in that regard, but we're raising money so that we can become a resource navigator. Like I said, at the beginning of our radio show, just want you to know that. And, you know, we're loving being on Dash. We're loving being yeah. a part of this new channel called Expansion. Was that like a sneak? Yeah, a sneak? it starts October 1. October, October 1. 1. We have a channel, everyone a channel, a full-on channel. We're going to have other people with amazing, great shows yep. on that channel. It won't be just Melissa and I don't know you'll miss us in every single show, but um, it will be other <laughs> amazing people that you're going to love. Uh, one being my 
amazing partner, Bobby Williams, and your amazing partner, and you will have an amazing show together and your son. Uh, you know, you know how I feel about that. He's going to be great. We got a bunch of stuff heading our way. We and sure do. Yeah, we sure do. And we want you to please step in. Our, our channel is expansion and our whole mentality is we want you to come on to the expansion channel, listen to different shows, expand your mind, open your heart, open your life to a new way of doing something or revisiting an old way that maybe you'd forgotten about. So it's all about expanding yourself. We welcome you over to that channel. Perfect. Thank you all and see you next time.